Merciful Heavenly Father, as we open your word now, we confess willingly, even gladly, that we are utterly dependent upon the Holy Spirit now to apply this word faithfully to the hearts of your people and for them to responsively and transformingly hear. And so I invite you, Father, to pour out your spirit on me, the preacher, and on your people, those who hear, that they would allow the word to go deep, that they would have ears to hear and eyes to see. And I pray for a transaction, Lord, of sanctification. And I pray that the holiness that you beget by your word and spirit would shine in loving deeds of Service so that the world can give glory to you. Lord, let not these moments be in vain. Let not your word go forth and come back empty. But according to your promise, may it bear fruit. I pray for healing upon the sick. I pray for clarity for the confused. I pray for hope for the despairing. I pray for humility for the proud. I pray for strength for the weak. I pray for courage for the timid. I pray for your fellowship for the lonely. Your word is designed for all these things and 10,000 more blessings besides. Come, please do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you take your Bible or a Bible from the pew in front of you and open to the book of Romans, the New Testament. Romans chapter 15. This Sunday we will focus on verse 30. Next Sunday we will focus on verse 31, even though today we'll have to reach forward once at least to understand verse 30 in the light of verse 31. What Paul is doing here is pleading for prayer from the church in Rome so that when he goes to Jerusalem with ministry for the poor saints that he's been collecting in Macedonia and Achaia, he won't be killed but rather the church will warmly and affirmingly receive his ministry. Those two things he asked for in verse 31, and that's what we'll talk about next week, how God can sovereignly do those kinds of things. But in this verse, 30, he gives incentives to the church in Rome to strive with him in prayer. Let's read verse 30. Now I urge you, brethren, urging, exhorting, appealing to them, I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ, there's incentive number one, and by the love of the Spirit, there's incentive number two, and here comes the request, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. So it's very simple, the outline of this verse and the outline of the message. The verse has three elements to it. There's this appeal, strive with me in prayer, oh please. He's not just asking for laid back, casual, ordinary, steady state 
praying, he's asking for this word, sun agonizomai. You can hear the word agonizomai, agonizomai. Agonize with me, strive with me, fight with me in prayer on my behalf. Sure, I'm an apostle. Sure, I've got authority from the Lord Jesus. Sure, I know the Old Testament backward and forward. But I'm a goner if you don't pray for me. And every pastor can say that. And then he gives these incentives by the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll talk about what does that mean? And by the love of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? And why do those two particular incentives come behind this request leading into these two things that need to happen down in Jerusalem? So that's my goal. That's the way I'm going to handle it. We'll talk about the plea, the appeal, the struggle and strive in prayer. And then we'll talk about the incentives. But today, let's hear it in relationship to where we are. I paraphrase it this way. Bethlehem, I urge you. I urge you, Bethlehem, by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Holy Spirit to strive, struggle, fight, wrestle together with me, for me, and not only me, but that mission there, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, and for all of our fresh initiatives, and for all that God might be pleased to do through 2000 by 2000 this year at our church. Strive together with me this week and this year in prayer. Now, I know that uh, striving involves a lot of different things for a lot of different people, but I want to stress fasting again here. Fasting can lend striving to your prayer. Fasting can be one way of fulfilling the word striving. Fasting, however you choose to do it, a meal a day, all your meals one day, every meal every day during prayer week, however you choose to do it, it is a way of saying, God, by denying myself this food, which I really, really, in this particular hour, feel a lot of hunger for, I translate that up to say, this much, Lord, this much I want you. This much I want the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on our church. This much I want revival. This much I want the conversion of my neighbor. Name them. This much I want healing in our marriage. This much I want my kids to come back to the Lord. This much, oh God, this much I want your presence. That's what fasting is. It's a this much, Lord, with an exclamation point at the end of your request with a fasting so that the stomach becomes simply symbolic of how hungry the soul is for God to work. So I commend it to you. If food is a problem, try TV or the newspaper or something else that might fill up your time and take you away from prayer. We strive in prayer in proportion to how critical we feel the need to be. Right? Some of you have never strived in prayer. Some of you have it as a vocation. And I praise God for you. All of you who are Christians will someday strive in prayer. December 16, 1974, the phone rings. My brother-in-law, Bob, says, Johnny, your mother was just killed in a bus wreck. 
And your father is so seriously injured that I'm not sure he's going to make it. Hang up. Go back to the bedroom. Kneel down by the bed. And experience striving in prayer. And suddenly you know what it is. And I wasn't praying for my mother. She was home. And I don't think it's biblical to pray for the dead. But I prayed for my dad like never before and never since. God, save my dad. And he did. For half an hour, I wrestled and I strove with the Lord. So you will all do that. You'll do it. And you can imagine it. If you haven't done it yet, you can imagine that the best beloved, the person who's most precious to you, if she or he is on the brink of death, you will strive. You will cry. You will lay hold on the robe of God and not let go until God tells you his will. So I commend striving to you in prayer this season. But here's what I did. I uh, yesterday said, Lord, is there anything at Bethlehem worth striving for? Worth fasting for? Or is it just kind of steady state ministry? Just pray during prayer week the way you pray all through the year and everything will be all right. And as I pondered what's before us, this is what the Lord, I believe, brought to my mind. Let me just lay it out before you. And I do this to stir you up. My prayer is that in the next five minutes of this message, God will trigger in your mind things that I'm saying that make you say, yes, oh, that God would do that. So much so that you plan some earnest praying into your week of prayer. Number one, this year, Lord willing, a new staffing structure is going to be put in place with significant staff changes. Greg will be moving on into church planning by September. Joan will be stepping down by May from the ministry to children. Jim Bloom will be moving into urban uh, ministry to the poor. That's three, and we've already moved toward a new, or are moving toward a new worship leader. That's four major staffing changes. And by the end of this year, all of that's going to be changed. And as a so-called senior pastor, when I contemplate that, three or four, maybe, or some other part-time configuration we don't know of yet, partners in ministry, I say, that's something I'm going to pray for. Real earnestly and with fasting. Because few things are more important in my life than who I link arms with at the staff level in this church to move forward together over the next 15 years. And I ask you, Strive together with me in prayer as in this next year, possibly four new staff come on board. Here's number two. I thank God and we should be so full of gratitude that in 1994 we had Don Landon as an interim worship leader. And in 1995 we've had Greg Dernberger as an interim worship leader. And now the worship and music task force have produced a fairly thorough Philosophy of music and worship, 
and a job description and a list of qualifications, which we will confirm this coming Tuesday night. And then in this January, we will begin a major search for a lead worshiper, a configuration of leadership that will carry us forward. And that one carries tremendous weight for me because that's my most close, intimate partner, as it were, in making this service be what God is calling it to be. And you have an incredible stake in who that person is and how that person leads us over the next decade. And therefore, if you care about what happens in this moment on Sunday morning, then lay hold on the robe of God and plead with Him because somewhere in this nation, I believe, or outside this nation, God has somebody or some team, I don't know, who is prepared to do what we need done in this service for filling this room two or three times over the next ten years. And God will lead us to that person if we pray. That's worth fasting for in Prayer Week 1996. Number three. This year, Lord willing, there will be put in place a new vision for member care and oversight through member ministry and dialing up small groups. And this will crystallize with significant changes for the way the staff and elders do their ministry of spiritual oversight in this church. I don't very often trumpet the Baptist orientation that we have. We are a Baptist church. But if I were asked to trumpet it, one of the trumpets that I would blow is the 400-year historic focus of Baptists upon the priesthood of all believers. Baptists among all the faiths, among all the denominations, that is, have trumpeted the priesthood of all believers for 400 years, perhaps more vigorously than anybody else. And it's simply a wonderful biblical truth that it is not we clerics and we professionals who are the main priestly ministry in the church. It is the people of God. You are, according to Revelation 1.5, a kingdom of priests. And you are a household being built into a holy priesthood, 1 Peter 2, 5. And that means that you don't depend upon me to get to God. You depend upon one another in large measure to get to God. And the priestly ministry flows among you. And therefore, structures must come into place that cultivate that and assist that. We've been trying for years to figure out how to structure a church so that a thousand people growing, Lord willing, to who knows what thousands can do pastoral care so that the spiritual whereabouts of every member is known by somebody who cares and prays and is a kind of spiritual overseer. And there's going to be staggered kinds of layers. I cannot do that. The staff cannot do that. The elders cannot do that alone. It's too much and too many, especially as you grow. It has to be layered on down to smaller groupings with people giving an account up and caring down. That is going to have a, a very significant impact on those of us who are left on staff and how we design our job descriptions in relationship to newer people who come on. And therefore, that whole structure that's being talked about right now among the staff and elders is worth praying for. It's worth fasting for. We're not going to design this in our own strength. It won't work. Number four. This year will mark, Lord willing, one more step closer to 2000 by 2000. 
God gave us in 1990 a prayer goal that, Lord willing, through prayer and through faithfulness to his word, God would send out 2,000 people from this church into short-term and long-term missions. And that he would win, he would win to faith, to Jesus, 2,000 people through our witnessing and through our loving interaction with other people. We're a year closer now. Will God so work through our witness and through our loving deeds that shine like light and cause people to say God is glorious? Will God do that or will he not? And the issue will be prayer. The issue will be, are we going to fast for it? Are we going to lay hold on God for it? Or are we just going to coast as though there's no battle to be fought, no race to be won? Steady state, peacetime mentality does not triumph over the devil. He stays a hold of institutions. He stays a hold of souls, neighbors, colleagues, children, until we pray like Paul is asking us to pray here. Number five, in this year, in the next 11 weeks, Lord willing, there will be in place a new funding process for paying for this building. $1.4 million left to pay, six years left on the mortgage. That's not a lot for a 1,000 people, and it's not a long mortgage. If many of you had your homes with only six years left, you'd be real happy. But if we cut that baby in half, we save hundreds of thousands of dollars in interest that can go towards what I've already held up as a possibility. And so we've got people, we got dozens of people working right now on how should we inform the people, how should we encourage the people, how should we educate the people, and how should we bring you on March 17 to a point where you're ready to say, okay, for the next three years, me and my wife or my friends or me as a single person or me and whoever else, we are going to believe God for this much and maybe it'll add up to $1.3 million in three years. And this thing will be done. And we can pour all that money that's been going $6,000 a week into this building can now be funneled into all those missionaries that are waiting to go out for 2,000 by 2,000 and people waiting to be reached here in this city. Pray for that. And be expectant and ready as you hear more of the way we'll try to lay out the vision for you so that you can get on board financially and prayer-wise and ministry-wise in March. Sixth, this year, Lord willing, there are going to be a cluster of fresh initiatives around cultivating loving relationships, doing urban ministry in fresh new ways, touching the poor in new ways, defending the unborn in new ways, and cultivating racial harmony in new ways. Ways And all of that will remain a dream unless we take this booklet seriously. This is what you're going to get as you leave this morning. This is a booklet about how to pray the vision, how to pray those initiatives into reality, and how to pray revival down to undergird it in our church. I hope you'll pick this out, and if you're a child, pick this out when you leave from the ushers as you go. Number seven. There are eight of these. Number seven. In support of all this, we're moving down to the... Least important and the nitty-gritty here. In support of all these, Lord willing, by the end of this year, we're going to have a major parking lot extension over there. God 
mercifully gave us that house. So now we own the two lots over to the apartment building, and they just sit there with snow on them now, except if you're risk, you know, you're adventuresome and have a four-wheel drive, you can park over there on the snow. Um, but here's the most amazing thing God did. Many of you hadn't heard this, but not only do we have the house and the, and the land now, but not wanting to act precipitously or unilaterally without neighborhood input, David Michael and Tim Johnson went to the neighborhood, the official neighborhood group, and uh, laid out who we are and said, all right, we're Bethlehem Baptist Church. You know, we've been here 125 years. And in recent years, we have done this and this and this. And they listed out our ministries for the neighborhood. And they said, here's our plan. They rolled out the best plans we could produce on those two lots. Now, blacktop is the lowest priority for producing in any neighborhood, right? Nobody wants more blacktop in their neighborhood. And said, we want parking. We need parking. Downtown church to survive and thrive and grow and minister. We're committed to this city. We want you to say yes to this. And they said yes. That was a miracle. That was a bigger miracle than the financial miracle of getting the building. That they said, we believe enough in what you've done and where you're going that we will vote yes. You've got the neighborhood backing to make a parking lot over to those apartment buildings. And we'll do our best to landscape it so that it's attractive and not ugly. And it's got trees and some green space in it. But basically, they said yes. And the question is, will that happen this year? We need that. When we got our consultants in here a year ago and they said, look at our ministry and tell us what we need. They said, number one, they, they don't always think the way I do. Number one, you can't survive without more parking. How do you live without more parking? But that's true. We, we, we are swimming way upstream and walking uphill to have 60 parking places out there. And, and it's hard to find that big one. There are parking places, by the way. Over there, 200 of them across the street. And there's one over there, and there's a little one over there, and now you can park on the snow over there. So there is available some. But when visitors drive through here and it's full, who knows what happens. Finally, as I prayed and asked, Lord, is there anything worth fasting for, anything worth praying for? The last thing, little thing, little thing, he brought to my mind was by the end of 19... 96, might there not be a sign on the outside of that building right there that just says in nothing gauche but simple letters, Bethlehem Baptist Church. Right there on the outside, right there on the wall, maybe up, you know, 20 feet, whatever. And the people who drive in, thousands of them, on 5th uh, Street here, and they see all of our truth banners up there on the roof, a passion for God. Jesus is the reason. Next one that's going up is going to be, if I should die, but just to be. And they go downtown. I've heard this now. They go down and in their law offices, they say, you see that banner down there on that church driving in? What do you think of that? And they don't know what church it is. <laughs> There's no sign. They need a way to be in touch. If it has moved them, the little princess here to encourage you. I got in the mail a, le a, a newspaper from Amsterdam. Full page on Bethlehem Baptist Church. Picture of our church. A passion for God. 
Because when there was a, a journalist coming through, he stopped and he said, tell me what makes this church tick. A Dutch journalist. He stopped. Tell me what makes this church tick. I said, a passion for God. I quoted that right there. And he went outside and took a picture of the church. It's a full page. It's like this. This is tall. On the, in the Netherlands newspaper. Those little things make a difference. There are thousands of Dutch people reading our banner. And there's no sign. <laughs> but it's in, it's in the print. I think it is. I can't read Dutch, so I don't know what the article says. Now, those are my eight things that the Lord brought to my mind. As I said, Lord, it's prayer week. Paul says, strive together with me in prayer. Is there anything at Bethlehem worth striving for, fasting for, wrestling for, laying hold on you for? And those things came to my mind. And my hope is that to the degree that you feel bound to this church, and I know that if you're peripheral, you won't feel any fire here, but to the degree that you feel, I love that vision, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things for the joy of all peoples. I love that vision. I want this church to thrive. I want it to grow. I want those eight things to happen. Maybe God will birth in you a striving in prayer in Prayer Week 1996. What does that look like when you strive like that? Let me ask this question. Have you asked what you're striving with or whom you're striving with? Who, who are we striving with when we strive? Are we striving with sin in our lives? Are we striving with unbelief that gets in the way of prayer? Are we striving with manifold distractions of every kind that draw us away from the hour of prayer? Are we striving with Satan and his principalities and powers which, with which we wrestle? And the answer is yes. We are striving with all of those. But I have a sense that what Paul mainly has in mind here is that we are striving like Jacob laying hold on the angel and saying, I won't let you go until you bless me. We are, in a sense, striving with God. Lord, don't pass us by. Lord, we hold on to you. You are our only hope for these things. If we were to do them in our own strength, they wouldn't be of any value anyway. Would you please bless us and we won't let you go with fasting and prayer. We won't let you go until you bless us as a church in these ways. Let me give you some examples. Moses laid hold on God and said, Oh God, do not destroy this people. Blot me out of your book of life rather than destroy this people in Deuteronomy 9. Or take Hannah. Lord, give me a son striving so much that Eli thought she was drunk in her murmuring. Jesus in Garden of Gethsemane. Oh God, Father, take this cup from me. Don't let me have to go through the cross. If there's any other way, I'll do it if I must. But God, if there's another way to redeem the world and sweat like blood came out of his forehead, that's a striving in prayer. Or Paul praying in Romans 10, willing to offer up his own life for his kinsmen according to the flesh, the Jewish people, if they would but be saved. That's praying and striving. Or here, listen to it. If you want to hear the way it sounds... Take Daniel in Daniel 9 where he says, I now pray with supplications and fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And he brings his prayer for the, the rubble of Jerusalem to a close like this. Oh my God, incline thine ear and hear. 
Open thine eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by thy name. For we are not presenting our supplications before thee on account of any merits of our own, but on account of thy great compassion. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen. Take action for thine own sake. O my God, do not delay because the city is called by thy name. You know, some of you say to yourself, I don't have emotions like that, and I never did, and my parents don't. I'm not wired that way. Hmm. I think that's um, true, but the implication drawn out from it that you cannot be a person of passion and zeal and fervency, and energy, and wrestling, and striving, is false. Because to have the Spirit of God dwelling in you, and to have the Word of God like I just read available to you, is God's way of saying, I will make you new. I read the rest of the Bible this morning. I finished it. And I read in Revelation 21, the one who sits upon the throne says, Behold, I make all things new. It is wrong, brothers and sisters, to settle in with lifelessness in the name of your heritage. It's wrong. You need to take this prayer and read it over and over again while asking the Holy Spirit to beget in you the emotions that Daniel had when he said, Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, listen. Oh Lord, take action. Oh my God, do not delay. And if you don't feel those, keep praying and praying and praying until you feel them. Because it's wrong to say, I cannot feel fervency for God. We are commanded to feel it in Romans 12. Boil in the Holy Spirit, it says. Now, let's turn from the striving to the incentives just briefly here as we close. There are two incentives for this. Two incentives for praying like this in verse 30. Paul says, I urge you, brethren, number one, by our Lord Jesus Christ. And number two, by the love of the Spirit. Two incentives. Now, what do they mean? What does by the Lord Jesus Christ mean? And when I thought about that, I thought, my, if I begin to think about Jesus Christ in relation to prayer, there are so many incentives that begin to flow because Jesus commanded that we pray and not lose heart. Luke 18. Jesus taught us how to pray with the Lord's prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven. Jesus modeled prayer by praying all night for us. Jesus said, pray in my name so that all prayers are to flow through Jesus in the name of Jesus. In John 14, 13. Jesus shed his blood to purchase all the benefits of redemption, including every answer to prayer, so that he himself in his dying is the foundation for every answered prayer. There are so many incentives to pray when you just look at Jesus Christ. 
But I don't think any of those are what Paul meant here. I have another idea. I'll tell you in just a minute. Let's ask the second one. What does he mean by, by the love of the Spirit? He says, and I say to you, I say this morning, would you strive with me in prayer by the love of the Spirit? What I mean? I, I plead with you. I appeal by the love of the Spirit. Pray with me this week. What do I mean? What do you hear? What effect does that have on you? Two possibilities that I hear. One is, the love of the Spirit means the love that we have for each other that the Spirit produces. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love. The other is the love that the Spirit himself has for us. So one is my love for you and your love for me and others, that the Holy Spirit is working in us, which is true. And the other is the Spirit's love for me. Which of those does Paul have in mind here? And how does he think about it? Now, to answer those two questions, the meaning of by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, here's what I did to find an answer. I mean, I, I did a lot of other things, and this was where the answer came. I went to verse 31, next week's text, and I read it. I said, hmm, could it be? And I, I commend this to you for your meditation and consideration. I'm not 110% sure about this, but I believe that the two requests in verse 31 correspond to the two incentives in verse 30. And that shed a lot of light back on the way to understand the incentives. Now, let me make sure that you know what those two requests are. In verse 31, he asks for two things. He says, I want you to pray for me. And strive with me in prayer, number one, so that I will be delivered from those who are disobedient in Judea. I don't want to be killed. I want to be delivered from people who don't believe. And number two, I pray, I mean, I want you to pray that my service for Jerusalem, he's got this money that he's collected for the poor, my service in Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. Isn't that an amazing prayer? Did you know that pastors sometimes want their ministry accepted and they're scared it isn't going to be? That the sermons they preach might be thought foolish or boring? That the church discipline they do might backfire on them and destroy them? Did you ever think that pastors want prayer that the ministry will be received, acceptable. Paul was scared that he would take this money and he would present it to them and they'd say, you mean you've been telling churches everywhere that we're poor? Who do you think you are to put us in the position of beggars? Ah, you've been dipping in. I mean, everything could go wrong. Everything could go wrong when you're working in finances. And Paul was scared. And he said, would you pray that unbelievers wouldn't kill me and that believers wouldn't criticize me, but would receive my ministry? Now, go back to verse 30 and compare those two requests with these two incentives. If... 
God has a right to stop unbelievers from killing people. Governors, soldiers, policemen, uh, the Jewish leaders who had the right to stone other Jews. What is needed there? Well, you know what's needed there? Authority and power and lordship over lords and over kings. And so when I read, look, I, I plead with you, Romans, as I head to Jerusalem and go into that kind of danger, I plead with you by the Lord, Jesus, the Christ, to think about how all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to the Lord Jesus. And if you've been reading with me the book of Revelation in the past few days, how many times he is described as Lord over all lords and King over all kings. And so if there's a king or there's a governor or there's a soldier down there in Jerusalem who has a right and an authority to kill me, pray that super Lord Jesus will stop him. So that's what I hear. That's what I hear in, by the Lord Jesus, just plead the power and the authority of the Lordship of Jesus over all the universe, including the unbelievers in Jerusalem, so that I, like Jesus, will walk right through them to Spain. It didn't happen like that. It didn't happen like that. We'll talk next week about that. And then the second thing he asked for was, I want to be accepted and loved and cherished and esteemed and received and I want my ministry to be approved and I, I plead with you by the love of the Spirit that you ask God to do that. And I just hear the Spirit appealed to because only the loving Holy Spirit is going to produce love. So in a sense, I'm not choosing between the two interpretations I held up. Is it the love of the Spirit for the church in Jerusalem? Or is it the love among the saints in Jerusalem for Paul? And yes, 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 the Spirit loves the church in Jerusalem. And Paul is saying, you can pray with this confidence that when I get there, they won't reject me and run me out of town and put me in jail for embezzlement. They'll receive me and their whole hearts will be disposed well toward me because the Holy Spirit that you've laid hold on has now poured out His love upon that church and they will give me the benefit of the doubt and there will be harmony and the ministry will come to the poor that need it and I'll be released to go to Spain by you. Please pray for me. That's the way I see it. And so my closing admonition to you is would you join me this week in prayer? Would you pray in the morning and pray at noon and pray at night? Would you come on Wednesday? Would you pray all night Friday night? Would you next Sunday night join us over at Central Baptist with all the Minnesota Baptist Conference people praying from 6 to 8? Would you pray this blue book, please, as you walk out in the next two minutes, would you please get this from an usher and make a good start in praying for revival and praying for the incentive so that they don't pray, play, or stay in the, in the dream stage of our thinking, but rather go into reality through prayer. And I, I urge you and I plead with you by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Holy Spirit for this church and through each other for the world. Would you stand with me for closing prayer?
If any of you has some major obstacles in your life to praying, I'll stand here at the front and worship teams will be here. And we'd love to just ask God to knock that thing out of your life or lift the burden or whatever it is. If you'd like some prayer, we'll be here. Lord, take the words of my mouth and insofar as they have cohered with your heart and your mind through this inspired text, drive it home, please to produce prayer and through prayer to produce those great possible vision and mission and initiatives in and through our church and to the nations. And all the people said, Amen.